Hey, today we're continuing this series, and I wonder if you've ever had one of these awkward encounters like I, so, I seem to have so often. Um, one of these encounters where, let's say, you're going into a store, and just for this example, let's use Target as the example, because many of you can probably relate to the experience of walking into Target. You can relate to that. So you're walking into Target, and you're looking for a particular item, and you think you have an idea of where that item should be. And so you go to that part of the store and you start looking and you're looking on the shelves and you're looking on the racks and wherever, you know, wherever you're supposed to find it and you just can't find it. And so after a few minutes of searching and searching, you realize, man, if I'm ever going to find this, this, this item and I'm going to need to just ask for help, which some, many of us hate asking for help. But so you ask for help and so you, you find the closest employee and you go over and you say, hey, buddy, hey, I'm looking for this item. And uh, I, I thought it would be right over here. I can't seem to find it. Do you have any idea where it is? And then that guy just kind of like leans back and looks at you and says something like, dude, why are you talking to me? I don't work here. You know, have you ever had one of those experiences? Because in that moment, <clears throat> what you realize is that you're not talking to a Target employee, but you're talking to a man who thought it would be a good idea to wear a red polo and khaki pants to Target to shop. And now, this might just be me, maybe this is just the way I view the world, but in my opinion, if somebody thinks that's a good idea, uh, they deserve to have their shopping interrupted every two minutes while you ask them questions. Hey, where's this? Where's this? Because that's just something you're not supposed to do. The whole point is that so often we're able to identify somebody by what they wear. We're able to identify an on-duty target employee for, uh, you know, in their role based on what they're wearing. And this morning, I, I just, just to make this point a little bit, I want to play a little game with you to see how good you guys are at this. We're going to try to figure out if you can identify what somebody does based on what they wear, all right? So let me get out of the way, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, bring up that first picture here. Who, who, what does this person do? Does anyone know? Go ahead and shout it out. What are they? UPS driver, right? UPS driver. Even if I'd blurred out the yellow logo and, and, and just left the brown uniform, you would have known that this woman drives a truck and delivers packages for UPS based on her uniform, right? All right. Let's look at another one. Let's see if we can identify who the jocks in the church are. And some of you are going to absolutely love this. Who, what does this guy do? What does he do? <laughs> that is wrong. What does he do? He's a catcher. He's a catcher. How can you tell? By the gear, right? And, and even further, wh wh for what team? Because the uniform will tell you. Cardinals. Some of you are loving this right now. All the Cubs fans are like stewing right now. But here we are talking about the Cardinals in church. That's all right. Okay. So you know who he is by what he is wearing. Let's look at this third example. We found out who the jocks are. Let's see who the nerds are. All right. Uh, does anyone know? Does anyone know what this man does? Captain. How do you know he's the captain? He's the captain of what? Starfleet, right? I made the mistake in first service of saying he was the captain of the USS Stargazer, and I had some guys pull me aside and laugh at me because, <laughs> and you know who you are. I see your face lit up back there, um, <clears throat> because that's not true, but that was what my research said. I don't know, but if you really know these uniforms and you know what to look for, you can look at this and you can say, well, he's got the little doohickey there, so I know that's from, you know, he's from Starfleet, and you know, the four dots on the collar represent captainship or whatever, so anyway, so you can identify who somebody is based on what they wear. Now, let me throw a little wrinkle into this right here. Let's say, thank you, Josie. Um, so let's say I was wearing this this morning, okay? Does anyone know what this is? This is Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback on the planet for the best team on the planet. Well, we'll see. Well, I hope. Um, 
this is my team. This is my, my guy, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so I, this is my jersey. And sometimes I'll wear this around. And if you saw me wearing this around town, would you mistake me for Patrick Mahomes? Well, no, right? Some of you, you've seen me throw a ball. Let's see if I can throw like him. 80 yards. I'm going to throw it back. Not quite. All right. But the point is, it may not fool you into thinking that I am Patrick Mahomes, but what can you tell by seeing me in that uniform, in that jersey? What can you tell? You can tell I'm a fan. I'm a follower. I, 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 my allegiances, my loyalties, my passion follows that organization. In this series that we've been in for the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Dave has done an amazing job of laying this out and helping us to see these fundamental pieces of what it means to be a follower or a Christian or a Christ follower, whatever that title is that you prefer to go by. And today what I'd like to do is just kind of talk about what do we, are we supposed to look like? For those of us in this room today who would identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, and let me just say this as a little side note, I don't want to make any presumption that everyone in this place would identify as a follower of Jesus. I don't want to make that mistake because I hope we have people in here today who are not followers of Jesus. I do. I genuinely hope that because one of our goals here at this church is that we would be a church for people who are outside of a relationship with God and they would feel welcome, they would feel comfortable and they would enjoy this place and they would come and they would be exposed to to this this life-changing message of Jesus. So if you're here today and you don't identify as a follower of Jesus. Thank you for being here. We're so glad you're here today. We created this place seven years ago with you in mind, and we hope that you feel welcomed and and, and that you just really enjoy your time here today. So thank you for being here. But for those of us who do identify as followers of Jesus, what should we be known for? What is our uniform? What, when people look at us and they see identifying characteristics, what should those characteristics be that tell them that we are followers of Jesus? Now, if I were to go out on the street and ask 20 different people this question, I may get 20 different answers. Because so much of this is subjective for so many people. Because so, in so many, you know, the reality is our experiences with Christians help to shape our perception of what Christians are. And so, you know, maybe you have an experience with somebody in your life who is very judgy and, and, and shameful. And so you've got somebody like this person up here, the morality police. You know, they wave the, the finger of shame in your face whenever you step out of line. Or maybe you come from a, a setting where the, the most spiritual people in your life were the people that look like a televangelist. And they'd wave the Bible and they'd add syllables to words to sound really spiritual. And they had the poofy hair and the gold bling bling stuff going on and, you know, and, and And maybe to you, that was what a a Christian, like an ultimate Christian looked like. Maybe you come from a a high church setting where the most spiritual people you ever encountered as a child were, were people who were dressed in ornate robes and collars and hats. And, and maybe it was something completely different because your experiences helped to shape that. Now that's our perception of what Christians look like. So many of us hold on to those, those ideas that this is what a, a real spiritual person looks like, or they, they look like Dave, you know? <laughs> That's a real spiritual person. And, um, but today what I wanna do is I wanna look at this idea of what did Jesus have to say? If he's the one we're following, and he's the one who started this movement that many of us in this room today are a part of, what did he say we should look like? 
so that when people see this in us, they would know that we belong to him and we follow him. So what is that? And I'm glad to be able to tell you this morning that he was not silent on this matter. Jesus spoke directly to this matter. And in John chapter 13, which is where we're going to start today, John chapter 13, the, Jesus has gathered his disciples together. And let me just give you a little bit of background here. Many of you know the story of Jesus. Let me just catch everyone up to speed. Jesus <clears throat> came into the world and spent the first 30 years of his life as a very private figure. He lived a private life. And then he had three and a half years of being a public figure where he started teaching about the kingdom of God and showing people what God was like. And, and he would perform these miracles and he healed sick people. And he, on occasion, raised a few dead people back to life. And, and so Jesus had this very public ministry and he was known. And in the middle of it all, he had gathered 12 men who we know as his disciples. Later on, we might call them the apostles. But a disciple essentially is a fancy word for a follower. And Jesus called these 12 men to follow him. And they spent this entire time of his public ministry with him, following him, learning from him, seeing how he does things, uh, being in his presence, all these kinds of things. These men were right there for it all. And so in John chapter 13, we get a little bit of insight into the last days that Jesus was going to be with them. Because again, if you know the story of Jesus, at the end of his public ministry, he's arrested, he's crucified, he dies on the cross, he rises three days later, and then 40 days after that, he ascends to heaven and, he's, and he sends the Holy Spirit to be with them. Okay, I'm kind of getting way ahead, but I want you to understand kind of the arc of this story. So right here at the end where Jesus is preparing to leave and, he's, and he realizes that these followers of his need to understand some very, very important truths, Jesus is instilling some wisdom in them. And so he says to them in, in John chapter 13, this is at the, what we would call the Last Supper, it was a Passover meal, which a Passover meal would be a very, very important holiday, a celebration, a tradition for the Jewish people. Um, you might liken it to maybe a Thanksgiving day. And Jesus gathers his, his family or his, his closest friends together, and they're eating together, and he's teaching them several things. And in the middle of the, all that, he speaks to them in this way. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Now, in this moment, the disciples had to be like leaning in and trying to figure out, okay, commandments. We know what commandments are because commandments were very, very, very important pieces of the Jewish faith. You see, 1,500 years before this conversation that we're looking at, Moses received some commandments from God. And it started with 10 rules, do not kill, do not steal, do not do this and that and whatever. And, and then it grew to a little over 600 little over 600 rules. And these were the things that governed the relationship between man and God. And so as I, as, a, as a, uh, a Jewish person during the days of the Old Testament, if I wanted to have a relationship with God, my ability to do that was dependent on my ability to keep these, these laws, these rules. So commandments are extremely important, extremely important. And these men knew that very well. So when Jesus speaks their language and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, these guys know the significance, the weight of this moment, and they lean in and they're listening. And here's the commandment he gives. He says, love each other. And in this moment, I, I can picture the disciples kind of leaning back and saying, okay, Jesus, hold on just a minute. You said, you said this was going to be a new commandment, right? Did you say that? Yeah, this new commandment. 
But Jesus, this, this, this commandment's not new. We know this commandment. We've heard this one since we were little. It comes to us from Moses' writings in the, the, the book of Leviticus. Uh, it's a bunch of rules there. Today we would have it as chapter 19, verse 18. They wouldn't have had chapters and verses, but you know they knew the reference. And, and they're saying, Jesus, this isn't a, a, a new rule. We get this one. We've heard it before. In fact, Jesus, just a few days ago, you spoke about this rule. You did, Jesus. Don't you remember that? You, you're probably forgetting, but let me, let me refresh your memory. Some, some religious leaders gathered together, and, and, they, and you said, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, Jesus, you were talking about this just the other day. And then one of those men at that gathering said to you, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because what he was trying to do was he was trying to figure out who does he have to be nice to? Who does he have to love? Because, you know, the way we're wired, we want to know kind of the bare minimum, the standard, and then that's kind of where we end up. So anyway, this is what this guy was doing. He was asking, Jesus, who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? And, and you went on and you told a story, and you told the story, we would know it today as the Good Samaritan. And just to summarize the story, Jesus, you, uh, you, you talked about how a Jewish man was beaten and, and, and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And, uh, and while he's laying there and he's on the edge of death and he's stripped naked and he's bare, um, some Jewish men walk by. The first one was a priest. The priest is the most spiritual person in their culture. And the priest walks by and he sees him and he gets startled and he doesn't want to touch him because it's unclean, which is like a, a rule, like unclean. And, we're not, and he walks on the other side of the road. Remember that, Jesus? And then the second person came by and it was a temple assistant, which may have been like an assistant to the, the priests, you know, another very spiritual person, maybe a priest in training. And they were coming by and, and they passed and did the same reaction. Whoa, that guy is unclean. He's naked. I can't look. I'm going to walk over here. And he continued on his way. And then the third person came by and it was one of those, one of those Samaritans who we hate so much. And those Samaritans are the worst. We hate them. And there was a real racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. And this was an accepted sort of racism. It was very common. It was very normal in that culture. And, 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 but you made the point, Jesus, that, that it was the Samaritan who helped him. And then you said that he was the one who was the best neighbor. Remember that, Jesus? And so Jesus is saying, as he's giving this new commandment, he says, love each other. And then he says, but listen, guys, that's not all there is. Here's, here's the part that's new. Love each other as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That is the part that's new. So let's just, let's just step back from this a moment because what Jesus is doing here is he is elevating a law, a rule, and he did this more than once. You can probably, some of you, think of other examples of times he did this exact same thing. He takes a rule that had governed their relationship with God, and he elevates the standard to an even higher level. And so that's what he's doing here. And so let's just take a look at the old commandment as they had been taught. The old commandment was this. To love your neighbor as yourself, from Leviticus chapter 19. Now, the interesting thing about this is that in the context of Leviticus 19, neighbor was actually your fellow Jews. So, what Moses was commanding the people of God to do was love your fellow Jews as yourself. Now, let's broaden that a little bit. He's saying, love the people who are most like you, 
who look like you, who act like you, who talk like you, who vote like you, who worship like you. In other words, the people who are the easiest to love because they're not so foreign to you. You don't have those divisive uh, you know, disagreements with these people. Love the people who are easy. So that was the context of the old commandment. Love your brothers, fellow Jews. And then he says, to the, to the extent that you're able to love yourself. Now, This is what's really important to understand about this old commandment, is that this is a natural kind of love. What do I mean by a natural love? Any love that is normal or common to mankind would be a natural kind of love. And here's what I know about myself, and I believe it to probably be true of you as well. There are days where I look myself in the mirror and I think I'm a pretty good guy, and I feel like I deserve to be loved. There are other days, not so much. There are days where I look in the mirror and I can't stand what I see. There are days where I I feel lovable and days where I feel so unworthy. And what happens with natural love, being that it's imperfect, is that it's very conditional and it rises and falls on the state of worthiness. And the old standard was love the people who are closest to you, the people who are easiest to love, to the best of your ability. And Jesus comes along and says, that's not the rule anymore, guys. Here's, here's the standard. I'm not abolishing that rule. You still got to love those people. But let's just, let's step it up a little bit. I want you to love everyone. Because again, going back to the context of the Good Samaritan, Jesus made the point from this exact verse that your neighbor is everyone. It's humanity. It's people. And, and even to the extent that it's the person you hate the most, which was the point of the Good Samaritan story, Love them to the degree that I have loved you. So he's saying love them with what I would call supernatural love. Supernatural love is the stuff that's not common, not ordinary to us, but it's so elevated above what's normal for you and me. Jesus had loved these men when they were not worthy of their love. Now, you have to understand this. This is a few hours before he's arrested, and ultimately, in, in, a, in a day or two, he would be crucified, he would die, he would rise from the dead. So ultimately, these men would see the ultimate display of love. But in this moment, they don't understand it to that extent. But they still understand it to the extent that every one of these guys could relate back. They could remember back to when Jesus first called them into relationship. They could remember they weren't worthy of his love at that point. They could remember times where they, had re- where they had disappointed him. They had lied to him. They had told him they were going to help be there for him in this way, and then they didn't come through. And Jesus didn't get disappointed and say, ah, you're out. Jesus loved them through that. I want to look at Matthew for an example. Dave talked about the disciple Matthew a few weeks ago, one of the followers of Jesus. In Matthew, when he, this was, you know, This was towards the end of Jesus' ministry, what we're talking about tonight. But three and a half years before this, Matthew was just a dirtbag tax collector on the side of the road. He was a total betrayer of his own people. If anyone deserved to, and when Jesus walked up to him that day on the street 
and he was sitting there in his tax collector's booth, and Jesus had a few of his disciples with him, the first few that were called, probably Peter and James and John and Andrew were there, and maybe a couple others. And there's a handful of disciples, and Jesus is walking up, and he's getting ready to speak to Matthew, and Peter can see this, and in his mind, Peter's probably thinking, oh, good. Jesus is going to lay into this dirtbag. He's going to tell him what a terrible person he is. He's going to tell him what he deserves and where he deserves to go. He's going to point him in the right direction. And then as soon as he does all that, I'm going to spit in the guy's face and tip his table over. And guess what? He would have deserved it. That's how bad of a person these tax collectors were. They were so despised. They were so hated because they had turned their backs on their own people and they had enriched themselves at their brother and sister's expense. And so Matthew, in the moment when Jesus is saying, love as I have loved, he's got to be thinking about that moment. Like, what I deserved was to be spit on. What I was given was a relationship, a loving relationship. So here's the new commandment, to love. So at the heart of this commandment, The mark of being a follower of Jesus is this. God loves and values people. And so he wants his followers to love and value those same people in the same way. Now here's where this all gets kind of difficult for all of us, okay? Here's the rub. Here's the challenge. Here's where we're going to struggle from time to time. Because as human beings, we have this gravitational pull This is what religion does. Religion has a pull away from relationship toward rule keeping. And rule keeping becomes familiar to us because rules give us a a very clear understanding of where we are in relationship to God. If I can keep the minimum number of rules, I know I'm okay, then I don't care about anything else. And so what happens when we put rule keeping ahead of relationships is that we've got a whole bunch of people who call themselves Christians, who mistreat people who God loves in the name of God because all they're concerned with is, I'm good with God, I've kept the rules, I'm fine. And so what we get is a bunch of non-Christian people who have been hurt and broken by people who Jesus says are supposed to be known for their love. And this morning, I know that there are people in this room who have been hurt by the church. There are people in this room who have been hurt in the name of Christianity. There are people in this room who have seen some of the worst of what followers of Jesus have to offer. And I'm here to tell you, I am so sorry that that has been your experience. As one of his followers and somebody who recognizes that, that, that I'm lumped in with that, I am so sorry that's been your experience. We are supposed to be known for our love, and so often we're known for the bad things that we have contributed because we put rules ahead of relationships. So the Apostle Paul came along a couple decades after Jesus, and he had this amazing ability to take the things that Jesus had taught and put them in very practical terms. And so he would show people exactly what this looks like. And so Jesus said in John 13, you should be known by your love, that is your uniform. And here comes Paul a couple decades later, and he puts 
you know, dressing on it, you know, to, to help you understand uh, exactly what Jesus is talking about. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and he says at the, in, chapter, in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, since God chose you to be the holy people who he loves, so again, who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. And then he goes on and he gives them some very straightforward commands about what their lives should look like. He said, you must, as followers of Jesus, you must clothe yourselves. So again, this is like uniform talk, right? You must be known by and seen in this way. You must be clothe yourselves with, and then he lists off a few things. He starts with tenderhearted mercy. Another translation says, uh, you should be, you should be clothe yourselves with compassion. So what is compassion? Compassion is this ability to put yourself in the position of somebody else and to feel what they feel. To feel what they feel. And then we respond to them out of putting ourselves in, in, putting ourselves in their shoes and then thinking about how this action or these words are going to make them feel. And then we can adjust according to the feeling. He says you must clothe yourselves with compassion. You need to clothe yourselves with kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is awesome. I, for a long time, I just thought kindness and niceness were synonymous. I thought they were the same thing, but they're not. Niceness is just being pleasant. That's really what it, it means to be nice. Kindness puts action to the niceness. Kindness <clears throat> is when you apply your strength in an area where somebody else is weak. You take your strength. I'm, so I have an elderly neighbor, and he uh, just had surgery, right? If it were out to snow out today, there are a few of us in the neighborhood who would be fighting to clear this guy's driveway because he's the coolest guy in the neighborhood. We all love him. But the whole point is when we apply our area of strength to where somebody else is weak, that is an expression of kindness. And Paul says we must be clothed in it. You need to be clothed in humility, he says. What's humility? Humility is the ability to see yourself as you really are in relationship to God and others. Humility is a very rare thing. It's not me pushing myself down and making myself deprecating and making myself to be you know, an idiot or something. And it's not me elevating myself over somebody else in relationship. It's me acknowledging that the same thing that makes me special is what makes you special and the person who I don't like you know, out there special. Because God loves me and God loves that person and that person has value. And so when I see that, I can be humble. I can have humility in that relationship because I see that their, their value is the same as mine. Paul says, you need to clothe yourself with gentleness. What's gentleness? Gentleness is the decision to respond out of not, it's to respond not to you out of my strengths and weaknesses, but out of yours. So I heard somebody say it like this, and this is the clearest picture, and this has been so helpful to me. With this hand... I can pick up a contact lens with my pinky or I can pick up a big block, a heavy brick with the same hand. It's just a different application of strength with the same tool. And what gentleness is, is it's understanding in that moment 
what the appropriate amount of of pressure is to apply to a situation. Gentleness. It's understanding where the person's at. He says, you must clothe yourself with patience. What is patience? Patience is the ability and the decision to go at the speed of the other person rather than me setting the pace. I think of this in terms, one of my daughters is, is going through a, some math right now, and it's something she's struggling with. And every once in a while she said, Dad, can you help me with my homework? Because uh, uh, I still remember some of that stuff. And so the math was always fairly easy for me until you got to the really crazy stuff, but the stuff she's doing I could do pretty well. And um, so she comes to me and she's like, uh, can you show me this? And then I show it to her. And then she's like, clearly doesn't get it. And I'm like, you get that, right? And she's like, no. And I'm like, ah. she's like, why did you move the X over here and then drop the line and do this stuff or whatever? And my answer is always, you just do, you know? <laughs> like, that's all, like, I don't know. That's just what you do. And what I'm having to learn and relearn is this idea that, you know, patience is actually determining where is she in this process and then backing up and not going at my speed. Because my speed's a little bit ahead of hers right now but going at her speed because that's where she's at. Paul goes on and he writes, after you need to clothe yourself in all of these things, he says in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you because people will offend you and people do have faults. You just need to, get, let's get that out of the way, okay? Every relationship you walk into, people are gonna let you down. People are gonna hurt you. People are gonna, uh, you're gonna see the, the faults in the relationship. Go into it understanding that so you're not let down. Make allowance for that. And then he says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. That sounds to me a lot like what Jesus said in, in John 13. Love as I have loved you, Jesus said. And here Paul says, forgive as God has forgiven you. And then this is the part, this is like, this is the big moment that we all, that everything points toward right here. In verse 14, he says, above all, Meaning, as, a por- as important as it is to clothe yourselves in humility and kindness and gentleness and tenderhearted mercy and patience, as, as important as all of those things are, clothe yourselves, he says, with love. Above all of those things, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now, why is love so important? Why is it the trump card over all the other cards that we have to play? Because love is the glue that holds it all together. Love is the motivation behind all of those actions. Do you realize you can do, you can do kind things without love and it's all just a facade, right? And eventually, facades break down. Now, for me, I don't wanna be known as the guy who does kind things but is really a jerk. <laughs> I want to be the guy who's known for doing kind things and there's something different about him because love motivates the kind things that I'm able to do. Now, when, I, when I'm in a meeting like this and somebody's up there talking and saying, you need to love, you need to love, you need to love, and you know, I, I'm sitting there out in the crowd and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I've got it. I need to be more loving. Okay, got it, check. Love is my uniform, got it, check. Uh, love looks like this, tenderhearted mercy and patience and kindness and gentleness and all that. Okay, got it. And then the next question I ask myself is, but how? How? Have you ever tried to make yourself love? Have you ever tried to manufacture love? 
Again, doing loving things is not equal to love. Where does that love come from that enables me to be kind in a real way? That enables me to be patient in a way that is motivated by love? Where does that come from? Let me help you as we close out here this morning. John, who wrote the the gospel that we looked at, John 13, we were looking at a little bit ago, was one of Jesus' closest friends. John, if you study his life, he had a very interesting relationship with Jesus. He was very close to him, very intimate sort of friendship. They were probably, of all of Jesus' friends, he was probably the one who was tightest with Jesus. And John, years after Jesus has gone to heaven and he's teaching the church, he writes these little letters and they would get passed around in the churches um, in the area. <clears throat> and he wrote this one letter. And in what we have today, uh, the, the, the epistle of 1 John chapter 4 It's all about love. And he writes this in verse 7. He says, let us continue to love each other, for love comes from where? From God. Love comes from God. And then a little bit after that, he says, we love each other because he loved us first. Now, there are two ways to read that last verse, verse 19. There's the way where you can read it as an imperative or the way that, where you can read it as an empowering statement. An imperative is this. You need to love. You know, God loved you, so you better love. And that is not what John is doing here. He is not wagging his finger in your face and telling you, you need to love more. You need to look more like Jesus, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's not doing that. What he's saying is, Jesus loved you first, and that's where your love comes from. And, and let me just make it real plain for everyone here today. Your ability to love others is 100% tied in to your ability to be loved by God. Let me say that one more time because this really needs to sink in. Your ability to love people with supernatural love that is perfect and unconditional and not based on worthiness and all of those sorts of things That is 100% dependent on your ability to be loved by God. And you know what that looks like for us? Let me just take a moment to just kind of teach what that, how how do you practice that discipline of being loved by God? It takes a daily time where you just pause yourself. If you have quiet time where you just spend time praying, a portion of that quiet time every day should just be meditation on God's love for you. Picture Jesus on the cross. Picture him looking at you and and acknowledging you as he hangs there. Picture him calling you into a loving, fulfilling relationship when you weren't even worthy of it because you had betrayed him and turned your back on him. His love for you is your ability to love others. So if you can learn to be loved you can learn how to be the kind of Christian that looks like what Jesus was talking about, who is attracting people to Jesus through our love for one another. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that this morning we are called to a life that is a little bit different. Lord, we're not called to a life where we are governed by rules and discipline and whatever, even though rules and discipline are certainly a part of the relationship, but God, that is not, that is not what defines us. 
what defines us is, our, is, is your love for us. And then reflectively, that love goes back to you and out to others. Lord, our calling as the church this morning is to be identified by love. Love is the motivation for all the good things we do in this world. Help us, Lord, to grow in that ability to love others and to show them who you are. And Lord, in order to do that, help each of us understand just how deeply we are loved. We ask that you would reveal the depths of your love to every individual here today and let each of us just respond in our own way to being loved by you. In your name we pray, amen.